Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we bring our series Exiled, Hope in a Hostile World, to its conclusion with another doubleheader as we are joined by the Reverend Dr. John Guest and the Reverend Doug Rary, both preaching on 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a quick reminder that if you would like to revisit any one of the messages or all of the messages in this series, you can do so one of two ways. You can locate our sermons online at ccgf.org sermons or on the Christchurch app, which is available on Apple and Android devices. Now, here is Pastor Doug with our sermon from Wilson Hall. Thank you for listening. Good to see all of you. Uh, it's always an honor and privilege, I said this this morning, to share the platform with Pastor Robbie, our middle school pastor, whether he's preaching or praying or, or just leading us in the service, man, he's just anointed by the Lord. And, and uh, I want to just encourage you to pray for him and the whole mess of students that he's about to take to summer camp in, uh, in just a little over a week, right? And uh, you still got some spots left? Yeah. Oh, there's still a couple spots left. So if you know a middle school student, make sure you get to that summer camp because uh, I don't know if you know this, but man, decisions happen at camp. They really, really do. Um, well, my name's Doug. I get to work with high school students, and so it's kind of like a revisitation of Youth Sunday today, isn't it? Yeah. So would you pray with me, please, before we get started? Father God, I just thank you so much for this place. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for all that you are doing. And God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as we are about to open up your word and, uh, and, and really discuss a, a very challenging subject, God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and that you would open up our minds. And uh, that it would be your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I remember um, interviewing for my very first youth pastor job. Very, very young. I was 21 years old. And, um, and it was the longest interview process of any job I've ever had. It was about six months long, many, many steps. And one of these steps is I had to go in and, and take this personality test. Um, it was a very large church, and they had a, uh, they had a member there who was uh, semi-retired, and he, he used to be a professor of psychology at an Ivy League school, and uh, he was often uh, brought on board to create personality profiles, even for organizations like the FBI. And so he had this, uh, this test this, that, that I was to take to create a personality profile on me before the church uh, would hire me or not. It was about 700 questions long, and it was just ridiculous. <laughs> and I remember um, uh, taking this test and, and, and going through these steps, and, and about halfway through the test, uh, this one question just stopped me in my tracks. It said, on a scale from 1 to 10, how humble are you? Scale of 1 to 10, how humble are you? You know, what do I do? Do I put, do I put a 1 and just say, you know what? I'm just going to be honest. I'm really prideful. Like, I am full of pride, right? Or do I, I go ahead and put a 10 and say, you know, I am the humblest person you will ever meet. I, I am so full of humility. My humility levels are off the charts. In fact, when I walk into the room, people cheer as I enter a room, astounded by my extraordinary humility. Now, how prideful would that be, too? I mean, I was really dumbfounded. I had no idea what to put, so I just circled five, right? <laughs> how could I go wrong, you know? I just circled five. You know, today we're going to close this series we've been in on, uh, on the book of First Peter. And, uh, 
And Peter says a lot of things in this final chapter, but everything uh, surrounds this, this one single notion, this one single challenge. It's, it's some final advice that Peter gives to the exiled Christians in Asia Minor. And, and in many ways, it's, it's advice that Peter's giving to us today, to those of us Christians who find ourselves kind of exiled because we live in an unbelieving culture. And Peter's advice to us is the key to happiness, to peace, and a thriving life as followers of Christ. He gives us this challenge that we must choose to develop the Christ-like attitude of humility. And we must avoid the trap of the enemy and fight our own sinful human nature to develop the attitude of pride. So it's a tough subject. First, let's talk a little bit about humility. Now, before you ask yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 how humble you are, let me just share with you some truths about humility. The first one is this, is that humility is a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. Nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to pray to God to give us humility. Humility is not listed as one of the fruits of having the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why there are many non-believers out there who are excellent examples of humility. It's something that you choose for yourself. And it's also something that takes time to develop. There's so many scriptures on this single word humility, but just, just a few of them I want to put up on the screen for you. It says uh, twice in, in, in 1 Peter 5 today, dress yourselves in humility. Humble yourselves. Jesus said in Matthew, humble yourself. Paul says, be humble in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, if you want to learn a lot about humility, Philippians chapter 2 is the book for you and the chapter for you. The second thing I want you to know is that humility leads to happiness. It may not seem like that at first. I mean, we live in a culture that really uh, tends to reward the arrogant that really tends to reward those that step on others. I mean, many Americans believe the path to happiness looks something like this. Get a good education, find an excellent job, get married, maybe start a family, make some money, make enough money so you can retire, and the earlier you can retire, the better, and you're going to have a happy life. But, you know, I know a lot of people who have done those things, all of those things, and they are not happy at all. You know, it's difficult to become successful, and there's a lot of challenges, whatever your definition of success is. But when you're successful, you know, it's much easier to kind of claim all the credit for your success. Pride can get in the way, and pride is when, when I accept credit for the things that God and other people did through me and for me. Instead, humility is thinking of others and God more, and when we do, we become happy. That's why Paul says to us in, in, uh, in Philippians 2, make me truly happy. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I mean, I, I, I just had uh, a tough week and the, the strangest encounter as well. My, my wife and daughter, they are down in Nashville this past week. My daughter is uh, getting some, some therapy down there. And we had an apartment lined up for them, but that fell through, and it's a really long story. And so every single evening, 
uh, my wife and daughter didn't know where they're going to stay. And every single evening, I didn't know either. And so I was on the phone, and whether I was booking hotels through Priceline or making other phone calls or trying to figure it out, this was an incredibly stressful situation for us. And I asked a lot of people to pray about it for me, and one of those prayer partners uh, called me up right in the middle of my, my wife sitting in the public library in downtown Nashville, not in the library, in the parking lot because the library had closed, crying and not knowing where she was going to go that night. And uh, this friend from the church here called me up. And believe it or not, she has a friend who has a friend who has a friend who has a friend. And she gave me the phone number of that friend. Her name's Karen. And I called Karen up, and, and I felt like I was talking to somebody that I've known for 10 plus years. The sweetest woman I think I've ever spoken to. Uh, great deal of humility in her. A, a grandmother. Uh, she described herself as being five foot and less than 100 pounds, not intimidating. And she just wanted to care for my wife and daughter, although she had never met me and never met them. And she ended up meeting with them, brought her husband in a minivan and going and picking up all this stuff in this broken down apartment and, 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 and having her come to, to stay with her. And, and uh, my wife and, and daughter just having a wonderful weekend knowing that they have some stability right now. But the amazing thing is, is when I talk to Karen on the phone, which I do almost every day, just because I feel such gratitude, I call her up, I just need to thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us. She legitimately shares such joy and pleasure in doing it. She, not a blessing, not even like a mission she feels from God, but a, 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 I mean, sorry, not a mission that she feels from God, but a, a blessing, she says. I'm, I'm just thankful. I have so much joy and happiness. Thank you for the opportunity to allow me to serve. Humility can lead to happiness. But you know, a lot of people, they have the wrong idea of what humility is. That's why Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 23, he says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, some people think that humility is some kind of weakness. Or some people think that, that uh, humility is like being hard on yourself or being down on yourself. You know, but actually, humility has very little to do with you. And humility has everything to do with those who surround you and how you treat them. Humility is truly being honest about your strengths and your weaknesses. Because God has given you strengths to be able to help others. And we have weaknesses so that we can admit our need for other people in our life and admit our need for God in our life and allow other people to make up for our weaknesses and even help us improve on our weaknesses. That's why Paul says in Philippians, in humility, value others above yourself. See, the key to humility is to value others above yourself. One of my uh, favorite pastors is famous for saying this quote. He says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You might want to write that down. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is all about thinking of others more. As Peter says to us in, in our verse uh, this morning, our scripture reading this morning, Verse 5, he says, And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. 
For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So my question for you this morning is, do you want God to oppose you? Do you want to have God as an opponent? You know, when I read this in the right mind, that is a really scary thought to me. And it just brings me to my knees. When I hear that word oppose, I think of like an army battle or I think of like, like some sort of sports arena. And so as I was reading this, this scripture over and over again this week, I just imagined myself kind of standing on Heinz Field holding the football and looking at a charging, giant uh, Pittsburgh Steeler defensive team just coming straight at me and I'm all by myself. You know what I mean? Only opposing God would be that much worse and that much uh, more severe. The Bible says that God opposes the proud. In fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud seven plus times. He says it in Psalm 138, in Proverbs 3, once again in Proverbs 29. Jesus says it in Matthew 23. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 1. James writes it down in chapter 4 of his book. And even today, in our scripture reading, 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud. But here's another question for you that's even a little bit more intimidating. Did you know the Bible says that God hates the proud? In Proverbs 16, 5, it says the Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. So let's really take some time to talk about this pitfall of pride. So we can avoid it at all costs. Because when we talk about pride, we're not talking about that pleasing feeling that we get when it comes from accomplishing something difficult in our life. You know, it's okay to be proud of yourself and proud of others for for working hard. It's okay if your mother or if your boss says, I'm proud of you after a job well done. But when you begin to think that you are better than others, or when your focus is on yourself rather than on other people, that's when we tend to sin. You know, even as a preacher, i got to be honest with you that there is this battle that goes on during the week as you're preparing to speak. And you say, and truthfully, this is my heart, God, I want you to receive all the glory. But in the back of my mind, I always have to confess to God, but I want to do good. I want people to laugh at what I think is funny, you know? I, I, want, I want to do good, you know? And so there's this, there's this constant battle going on between humility and pride. And all I can do is just confess, God, would, would you be glorified here today? You know, the dictionary.com definition of pride says this, a high or an inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether it's cherished in the mind or is displayed in conduct. A lot of heavy words there. But what's the middle letter of the word pride? I. What's the middle letter of the word crime? I. What's the middle letter of the word sin? I. Gang, I, I think sometimes we have an I problem. You know what I'm saying? We have, an, we have an I problem. I want what I want, and I want it now. And that causes all kinds of problems in our life. Our I problem is truly selfishness. And selfishness is really the root of all sin. 
And pride is just right there in the center of selfishness. That's why Paul wrote this about humility and pride. He said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Paul says pride is selfish ambition. In other words, it's all about me. And I've had to learn the hard way that whatever it is, it's not all about me. (laughs) You know, we can find pride in leadership. Even in our text this morning, we see Peter addressing pride in leadership. He says in in verse 3, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. I wonder, have you ever had a boss that likes to lord it over you? You know, uh, some people get kind of like drunk with authority when even the the smallest amount of authority is is given to them. And they love to bark orders at others. And it's kind of their way, no highway option. You know, they don't don't get to, uh, they don't give away any ownership uh, of the project, um, the goal or the techniques used to the team underneath them. And then when things go south, they tend to blame the team rather than admitting that, that they were wrong. And oftentimes, you find them missing when the work gets really tough. There's no sense of relationship. There's no sense that they really care about you or about their well-being. To comprise this list, I thought of myself when I was hired as an assistant manager at Hollywood Video in Cranberry. To younger people, there was this place once called a video store. We had to go and rent videos, and and I managed it there. It's now a Buffalo Wild Wings, and we're all better for it. But anyway, (laughs) I wonder if you you know some people like that that, 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 that kind of lord it over those that are underneath them. There's this uh, fantastic uh, uh, picture of leadership that's been flying all over the internet for years. I want to show it to you. Uh, the first picture looks like this. Right? This is the prideful boss. You know what I mean? Just kind of barking out orders. You know, almost like a, almost like a dog sled and the, and, and the sled driver with the whip, you know. But the second picture inspires me. This is the humble leader. You could see strength in that leader. But he's humble, and let me tell you why. Just as as Peter says, a a true leader leads by example. This type of leader is humble because, you know, they're the first boots on the ground and they're the last boots to leave. They're, They're the ones who do the dirty work to make it easier on the rest of the team. They're quick to understand that other opinions can be good. They realize that their ideas might not always be the best ideas. They recognize that if they give away ownership to their team, that they will get more out of them. And they'll actually get more teamwork and a better product out of everyone's work. They work harder than their team. They stay longer than their team. And they never complain about it. And if there's any perks that come with being the boss, they're quick to give it away. Quite literally, a good leader exists to serve their team. They don't believe that their team exists to serve the leader. And what do they get out of all this? Well, they get respect. 
They have a team of people that would go to the end and back for them. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's great, Doug, but I'm not a boss, and I, I don't have a bunch of employees. I, I, don't, I don't really consider myself to be a leader. And can I just encourage you by saying, you know, everyone follows someone, and everyone has the ability to lead others. You know, if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you, if you have influence over anybody, you're a leader. In many cases, if, if there's people who know your name, you have the ability to lead so which direction are you going to lead them and how are you going to do it? You know, we can also find pride in what I call the comparison trap. You know, if you think about it, we kind of compare ourselves to others all the time. You know, the first thing I think about is competition or sports because the whole very idea is to be better than the other team, right? And so we kind of compare that. But we also compare ourselves to how people look or how they dress, I will freely admit to you that I spent way too much time thinking about what should I wear this morning because I'm going to be standing in front of a whole bunch of people. So I thought, well, I'll just take my newest shirt, put it in the wash, and I'll put it on. And then my, my little girl, Ella, who's, who's with me today, uh, uh, when I came down the steps, she said, Dad, you look really sporty today. And so I hope that that's good. You know, we compare ourselves to others by, by wondering, you know, um, how much money we make or the, the kind of stuff that we have, what kind of house we live in or what kind of car we drive. We compare ourselves with others at work all the time. You know, we're in that rat race. And, 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 and sometimes we're really trying to get ahead of others at work or we're comparing ourselves to our coworkers. In our minds, we, we think subconsciously, you know, I work harder and longer than everyone else here. Can I tell you something? You know, even if you win the rat, rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we do this. We just keep going. We keep pushing. We keep striving because we're comparing ourselves to others. But here's the big one, gang. We even compare ourselves to others in the Christian life. We compare ourselves to others in the Christian life, and we might say, yeah, I, I'm definitely a sinner, and, and, and I mess up, Sure. But at least I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, I can feel good about myself. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. I call this the biggest part of the trap here because, you know, this is where we get in the most trouble with comparison. Spiritual growth is a part of the Christian life. So how do we measure spiritual growth? Well, the wrong way is to compare ourselves to others. Okay? You guys, you're on your journey. I'm on my journey. We don't compare ourselves to others. The right way, though, is to look back. To look back on the past and on our lives and measure how much we've grown compared to who we were in the past. You know, I, th I think of that parent who has that, uh, who ha that doorframe at their house. And, and, you know, as soon as their child can stand up, they put a little mark on the frame. And then when they get a little older, they, you know, next birthday, put another mark and another mark. And, and then the parent gets all emotional as they look back as their child has, has grown up, you know. But that's what we need to do as we look to, to growing in the Christian life, is we need to look back upon ourselves. Have I grown in the last six months? Have I grown in the last year? You know, I don't know about you, I haven't made a whole lot of 180 degree changes in my life, but I've made a, a great deal of 10 degree changes. And as I look at my life now, to that, that very first youth pastor job at 21, man, night and day. I'll probably be saying that again in just a couple of years. 
That's why it says this in, in Galatians chapter 6 in the message paraphrase. Paul writes, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Paul also says that pride is vain conceit. Vain in dictionary definition says excessively concerned about one's own appearance, qualities, achievements, etc. I remember that very first youth pastor job and uh, I was leading a, a Bible study that, that had already kind of been meeting and there was a, a brand new guy, much, much older than me, but a really cool guy uh, who, who was thinking about maybe helping out in youth ministry. So he thought that he would come and help me do this Bible study. And it was a very kind of first night. We're both there. We're both new. We're getting to know this gang and we're just having this great Bible study. And, and, and so then they started asking a lot of questions, not even on the content we were studying. They were starting to ask a lot of questions. And they're asking a lot of questions about heaven, you know, where, where we could read a little bit about, but we can't fully understand, only God really knows. I'm asking a lot of questions about heaven. And I remember this guy who was thinking about volunteering. You know, he started to, to speak up about heaven, and um, I politely, politely interrupted him. <laughs> and I said something like this. I said, well, you know, guys, I really appreciate all of your questions, you know, but I, I, I just got to be honest with you, I don't really care what heaven looks like. Just as long as Jesus is there and I'm there, that's what's most important, right? And, and I wanted to kind of impress this guy. I, I remember that feeling in my heart. Well, later I found out when the senior pastor called me into his office that this guy's no longer interested in volunteering for youth ministry. And it turned out that this guy had spent the entirety of his life studying about the subject matter of heaven. In fact, he had three published books about it. And he was getting ready to, to, to be activated, you know, and, and teach these kids. And I had just shut him down. Why? Because I just wanted to, to impress, you know. That's why it says in, in Philippians, don't live to make a good impression of others. That's not, that's not our goal in life. So what does living to make a good impression on others look like? Well, I think, we, I, I think if we admit it, we, we, we kind of do that a lot on social media. Right? We kind of put our, our very best out there on social media. I can remember being down at Sheets, and, uh, and, I, and, and you know, I, I saw someone who just looked angry and upset, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I saw them perk up and smile and move their hair and then take a selfie, and you know, it's like everything changed. You, know? and you never see someone on social media who, who, who just woke up. Right, they got drool on the side of their face. They, you know, their hair's messed up. They got zits going on. No makeup, you know. And they, you know, take a picture, ready to start my day. You know, we don't do that. We, we, you know, we like kind of put our best, best version of our life out there. And I understand why we do that. But, but when we look at, at, at others, you know, and, and think, man, they got a great life, and I don't. That leads to, to the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, doesn't it? We, we have this pressure to keep up with the Joneses. We look around at our, our friends and our peers and our, our neighbors, and, and we subconsciously, like back in our minds, think, man, they're really outdoing me. <laughs> 
If, if I don't do what they're doing, I wonder if people are going to kind of look down on me. i got to be honest with you. I, I don't have grass. I have weeds. <laughs> I'm just thankful that it's green. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and some people, uh, like my dad, are really passionate about their lawn. And that's great if that's your thing. It's just not my thing. And I just don't have the time or the money to be out in my lawn. I'm truly thankful that it's green. But I look around my neighbors who every other day are aerating their lawns and bringing in grass seeds and installing sprinkler systems. And, you know, and they have these companies that come and spray. And they're, I mean, their yards are gorgeous. And this, just this morning I was pulling out of, uh, of the driveway and it's been such a busy week and my weeds are like up to the knee, you know. It needs cut, and, and I'm looking around my neighbor's yard, so beautiful, and, and I had this like subconscious thought in my head that, like, man, everybody must think that my house is the eyesore of the neighborhood, you know? And I started thinking, instead of thinking about this on the drive-in or talking to the Lord, I started thinking about, like, what, I, what can I do to, like, spruce up my lawn a little bit, you know? So we get this, this pressure to keep up with the Joneses because it seems like everyone else you know, is looking good or feeling good or they got the goods. We're surrounded by people that are well-dressed or drive expensive cars or have nice houses, and they appear to be happy. I mean, it's taken me a long time to learn this, but something that I've learned is that you don't really want to keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are broke. You know what I'm saying? The grass may truly be greener, on the other side of my yard. The grass may be greener on the other side, but you should see the water bill. You know what I mean? There's more to happiness than just that. You know, we can have vain conceit even in social situations. Have you ever walked into a room and you've, and you've worried? I wonder what everyone else is thinking about me. I wonder if anyone here really likes me. I wonder if people are secretly making fun of me behind my back. My wife will tell you, you know, she, she gets really uh, nervous around social situations, so she'll, she says she makes a little mental list, like, of things to talk about if she has to talk about, you know. Man, and I struggle with this a lot. I may seem like a really confident person, but I'm not. <laughs> Relationships are, are, are tough for me, and i got to push myself. And we walk in a room, and we think this way sometimes. But to be honest with you, it's actually prideful to do that. Why? Because the focus is on ourselves. What if we flipped the script? What if we walked into a room and we said, I wonder how I might be able to help someone in here today. I wonder if maybe they feel alone like I do sometimes. You know, maybe I can make a new friend today for someone who really needs it. I wonder if somebody kind of struggles with with body image like I do. I wonder if there's somebody in here who has some pain in their past and they're really kind of burying it and and putting up that false front. I wonder how Jesus might use me to help others tonight. You know, I I don't want you to mishear me. It, It is absolutely okay for us to put our best foot forward. It's okay to aim for excellence. But is the idea of you looking good more important than the goodness of others? Because that's what vanity is truly all about. It's putting your needs over the needs of others. The definition of conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own intelligence, ability, importance, 
wit, etc. Let me just close with this, this verse that Peter has said to us in chapter 5 just one more time. We're just going to put it up on the screen one more time. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I underline that part, dress yourselves in humility. You know, I find it really interesting that, that Peter phrases it that way, to dress yourselves in humility. And I don't know if this was his motivation or not, but this is what I thought about this week as I read that. Is those of you that grew up in church might, re, might remember uh, that Peter was an eyewitness to an incredibly humble act of Jesus. Jesus literally got down on his knees, God, and washed his disciples' feet. And Peter made a real loud stink about it. Pun intended. But the account of Jesus watching his disciples' feet, Jesus says this, or the, the account says this about Jesus, that Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist to wash his disciples' feet. So he literally, Jesus literally dressed himself in humility. You know, Jesus valued the lives of others above his own with love and with service. Jesus placed others' lives above his own by dying for us. Jesus made your life more important than his without making his life any less important. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus spoke with authority. He did and said many miraculous things. He didn't back down when he was challenged. Jesus was not weak. Jesus did not think less of himself, but Jesus thought of himself less. Let's pray. God, I thank you again so much for this church. I thank you, God, uh, for the honor and privilege just to belong to this family and just to be here today. God, this is, a, this is a really tough subject. It is so easy to choose the route of pride. It's so easy after working so hard to, to start thinking better of ourselves, to, to think more of ourselves, or to start thinking about what we deserve. But God, I, I know that when we start talking to you about what we deserve, we get in trouble. Because literally, we deserve death. So God, help us not to choose that easy route, to flip that switch in our hearts that leads to pride, to not respond when someone accuses us of something or gets angry at us and we start thinking about how, how dare they, who do they think they are, don't they know who they're talking to? But God, instead, would you help us, help us to remember that we need to choose humility, and it's something that takes practice. We need to develop it. We need discipline to be humble. And God, remind us that we will be all that much happier because of it. That humility brings peace. That humility dissolves conflict. That humility is a witness to others of what it is like to be a follower of Christ. God, would you allow us to love others the way that you loved us first? 
with humility. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.